This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Well, the World Economic Forum has warned that 2024 will likely bring catastrophic cyber events to our world. Why is that? Well, the globalists who have run the world have told us in the wide open what they have planned, and it's very—it's not pretty at all. The year 2023, as we know, was no cakewalk for sure, but it could very well be the last year in which we enjoyed a semblance of normalcy. With the world's superpowers remaining far apart in terms of how we move forward into a new era marked by artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and total information awareness, like the surveillance state, we should expect that the globalists will succeed in pushing the world order closer to full-blown World War III next year. When the powder keg finally blows, that war will come to U.S. soil. Those are the words of Leo Holman in a very significant piece uh, that came to us today concerning the state of our world as we approach year-end and the launch of 2024. Here on Viewpoint, almost every year we have sought to conclude the year with some sort of uh, wrap-up focus to the world as we understand it and where it is heading. Then, beginning the following year, we begin to take a look at, more peculiarly, where the world is actually heading and why and what it means to each one of us. Today, we focused dramatically, yes, dramatically, on the year end and where things are heading as we approach the new year. And Leo Holman has captured the essence of this in a very significant article, and I want to share some of the uh, excerpts from this, and then we're going to take a look, not what Leo Holman has to say, but what the world has to say. We're going to travel the world... Uh, here on Viewpoint, and we're going to see the war that is developing between Western globalism and the new BRICS nations, and yes, indeed, the Muslim nations. Those are the three great powers that are moving inexorably into focus as we conclude this year, and we're going to see exactly how that is transpiring And uh, you'll want to anchor your seatbelt, perhaps, because when you hear an announcement that the World Economic Forum is warning that 2024 will bring catastrophic cyber events, we have no clue what that really means. But perhaps you will in just a few minutes. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And our purpose here is not to be negative, Our purpose here is not uh, to be sensationalistic, but rather to be realistic about what is actually happening in our world and why. And more than that, where it fits in the broader perspective of uh, biblical prophecy and God's uh, viewpoint concerning where our world is going and why and where it will end. So stay tuned, my good good friends. Going back to the article by Leo Holman, 
With the world superpowers remaining far apart in terms of how we move forward into a new era marked by artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and total information awareness, that is the surveillance state, we should expect that the globalists will succeed in pushing the world closer to full-blown World War III next year. And when the powder keg finally blows, that war will come, unfortunately, to the U.S. soil. The globalist elites have done their best to inform us ahead of time of what to expect. They talk a lot about cyber attacks. They're talking about massive ones that will cause widespread panic among the people. In fact, they're fond of using the words like catastrophic and apocalypse. Jeremy Jurgens, the managing editor of the World Economic Forum, stated at the World Economic Forum's annual summit in January 2023 that a disrupting cyber event would likely take place before 2025. Now, on what basis would he make such a statement? Well, because they have it planned. Klaus Schwab himself, the top dog at WEF, World Economic Forum, warned a couple of years ago about a coming major cyber attack that would make COVID look like a small disturbance. Shutting down the power grid, which would upend the communications, transportation, banking, and healthcare sectors. We know that something catastrophic needs to happen in order for the globalists to be able to fully implement their plans for a great reset of the world order by 2030. Holman goes on to say it could be an EMP or nuclear war, but a series of major cyber attacks shutting down the banking and communications infrastructure seems like a more likely scenario because it would allow the globalists to shut down online truth-tellers and use the chaos and confusion to round up their enemies. Then, when their mission is accomplished, they simply turn the infrastructure back and continue on the road to total dictatorship minus the annoying truth-tellers. An EMP attack, on the other hand, would likely take 10 years or more to recover from and set the globalist surveillance state back decades. A huge news story, basically ignored by the corporate media and little noticed even by the conservative media, took place at the end of November, says Holman. A major global oil producer, the United Arab Emirates, abruptly stopped selling its oil in U.S. dollars and is joining forces with the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, to forge ahead into a de-dollarized world, expanding its membership to include the UAE, that is BRICS recently expanding its membership, to include the UAE, along with Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, and Argentina, which, by the way, pulled out when they elected the uh, very conservative Javier Milou uh, just recently. What this means is the U.S. will no longer be able to benefit from continuous increases in military budgets and runs massive deficits financed by China, Saudi Arabia, and other sovereign states. In fact, China and Saudi Arabia, two of the biggest financiers of U.S. debt, have already started unloading hundreds of billions of dollars in U.S. treasuries, which marks the beginning of the end for global dollar dominance. It will be the end of U.S. geopolitical dominance. This Changes of this magnitude in the global economic pecking order do not happen without a fight, said 
Leo Holman, Pax Americana, that is the American peace, which has ruled the day since the U.S. emerged from World War II as the strongest nation standing, is being unraveled as we speak. As the world shifts from fiat currencies to digital currencies, it remains to be seen who or what will control this new digital system. But the plan to upend the world order by ditching the petrodollar could still backfire on the BRICS nations. But at the moment, things seem to be moving ahead in their favor. Where does this go? Well, it has to do with globalism, but it has to do with the countermeasures to globalism from a Western viewpoint. That's what we want to focus on in the balance of the program here today, and it's extremely significant. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint here as we're moving rapidly toward the end of 2023 and heading into 2024, whatever it may hold for us. Today, we're taking a look at what it may hold for us, uh, starting with the viewpoint of Leo Holman, an excellent uh, commentator and observer. Uh, everything he writes is extremely uh, worthy of consideration. And he says the World Economic Forum is warning that 2024 likely will bring a one or more catastrophic cyber events that will upend everything, at least in the Western world. He goes on to say, talking about the BRICS nations, that is uh, Brazil and uh, Russia and India and China and South Africa, that are now bringing in numerous other nations as we speak. He's saying as long as China, Russia, and the major oil-producing states are allied, there is no future for U.S. hegemony in global affairs. He's talking about the rise of the BRICS nations that are taking over and diminishing American and Western power. He said that would mean the end of the U.S. military-industrial complex as we know it. Of course, the globalists will be seeking to exploit the downfall of American military power for their nefarious purposes, to further their agenda of transhumanism and digitize control of everything and everyone. But once chaos ensues, it it is possible that the globalists could lose control of things. So now, he said, is the time to be preparing to ride out the storm if it's even possible to ride out the storm, by the way. This, of course, assumes that there will be another side. If we truly are living in the last of the last days, then we won't have to worry about that at all, said Mr. Holman. Either way, he said, I caution against being presumptuous. It's possible that this will be the third and last great war, and then the end will come. But it's also possible we could be years away from the moment with the King of Kings 
when he splits the skies and appears with the clap of thunder and the shout of the archangel to judge the wicked, to gather his faithful followers and set up his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. A very excellent uh, observational piece, and I have distilled the essence of it, uh, probably sharing with you maybe a third of that article. And now we move to some further uh, expressions of the very same thing, but from the viewpoint across the world. Holman being in America, Mr. Lavrov being the Russian foreign minister, made this statement yesterday. The West's 500-year dominance is ending. The formation of a multipolar world is the objective course of history, he said. The hegemony of the U.S. and its allies has been based on a diverse history, including ruthless exploitation of peoples and territories of other countries, he said. According to the minister, the West suggested it could use the model of globalization, which it had been building for centuries, to maintain its dominance. But now, Lavrov says, new centers of economic growth and political influence have been emerging, changing the balance of power in the world and not to the liking of the West. In order to suppress this kind of government, the U.S. and its allies have in recent years sacrificed globalization in favor of the so-called rules-based world order, he said. But not anymore. Globalization is moving forward rapidly because of the vision, the view that these other competitors are also moving forward rapidly. So the vision and declarations of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and uh, Joe Biden and John Kerry and uh, uh, various other world leaders, both in the, in the last year or two, and also going back 10 years, even 20 years, to George W. Bush, are now taking place uh, to advance the cause and the effect, uh, effort to implement this global Western world order in its final expression. I believe that that final expression is what the uh, prophet Daniel refers to in the vision of the great Colossus in the book of Daniel, where the last great power would appear to be a resurrected Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire once uh, governed all of Europe and uh, North Africa and uh, spread all the way up to the Baltic states did not actually technically include the Baltic states, but did include England. Uh, And so now, with the uh, EU having merged in, in large measure into NATO, NATO being the North Atlantic Treaty Organization that has now received Sweden and Norway, it appears that the... Prophecy of Daniel is right on the edge of being totally fulfilled. The resurrection of the ancient Roman Empire. That, my friends, is the globalizing West. That's the globalizing West. 
Now, arising against the globalizing West is or are the BRICS nations. Now, we've talked about this before, but I'm bringing this up to date today because this is the scenario. These are the global attitudinal and political and geopolitical and economic structures that are taking place, the motivations of the world into the final, uh, shall we say, conflict of the world as expressed in the various uh, prophetic statements in the Bible. So, according to the Russian Times, the West sees the BRICS expansion as a direct threat. The West views the expansion of BRICS as an existential threat because a larger alliance jeopardizes the West's relationship with the global South. BRICS envisions itself as a competitor to the current Western-dominated global economic order and the military-industrial complex, which provides that order with a monopoly on being able to meet out brute force in the world. Now, again, this is the viewpoint that is coming from other areas of the world, including Russia and China and uh, the Middle East and uh, uh, Brazil, South Africa, India, and so on. This is a big deal, my friends. We can beat the drums all we want in pride for the United States of America, but we've got to realize that even the United States of America is not even mentioned in the Bible. No, I'm not here to talk down our country because I love my country. Uh, I don't love what my country is doing or what it's becoming. But I have loved my country. I've been a, a supreme patriot uh, for my country since my earliest uh, years, going back memorably to nine and ten years of age. So, don't take, please resist the temptation to think that I'm trying to speak negatively about our country. On the other hand, we have to be able to see our country from a different viewpoint. We have to see it even from God's viewpoint. And that ain't a pretty picture. We have to admit, that's not a pretty picture. No matter how we try to rationalize it, it is not a pretty picture from God's viewpoint. We have become Sodom and Gomorrah. As if it were Sodom and Gomorrah. So here is the, try to understand this statement from somebody else's viewpoint around the world. This commentary, it's going to be a battle between the forces of light and darkness. Well, guess who this writer perceives as being the force of darkness? Not Russia, not the BRICS nations, not the Muslim nations, but the West, the so-called former Christian West. Now, why? Why are they seeing it that way? Is it because of power? Is it because of wealth? Maybe there's a certain amount of envy there. I suspect there is. But even more than that, think of it from God's viewpoint. 
are we anymore? What is this nation anymore? What is the Western world anymore? Are we really a God-fearing people? Yes, there's a residue or a remnant of God-fearing people, but overall, are we really a God-fearing, God-fearing nation and people? Even in our churches? Why is it that seven or eight years ago, Vladimir Putin had the audacity to say that Russia had become the moral center of the world, referring to America as becoming the debaucherous center of the world? And the question must must follow in our minds, and if that be true, even a little bit true, what is God's viewpoint? That's the only viewpoint that really matters, isn't it? What is God's viewpoint? And if God could not put up with the nation of Israel, which he called the apple of his eye because of their debaucherous behavior, then why should he put up with us? You see, we just don't have a very honest view of things. We don't have a biblical view of things. We have an American view, we have an, a westernized view, but we that's full of pride and uh, self-importance, but we don't have a biblical view. Now, we can still be uh, have what you, we, we'll call it a legitimate kind of pride in our country, as a country, if, if we're doing things from God's perspective if we're obeying his will, if we're doing his will, if we're faithful in repenting, if we're faithful in walking in righteousness and in holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. But if we're not, are we not placing ourselves in the same position that Israel placed itself so that it was actually dispersed among the nations first with the Assyrian distribution attack hundreds of years before Rome ever attacked Judah and dispersed the ten northern tribes around the world, never to be identified again. That's why they call them the ten lost tribes. God did that or allowed that to happen to judge his people. The people that he called the apple of his eye. The physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob heirs according to the promise. But none of them got to keep the promise. The same happened with Judah in the south. 135 years later, at least, Rome came in and did the same thing to them. Jesus told his disciples that's what was going to happen. He said there's not going to be one stone left upon another here in this temple mount. That which you're glorying in is going to be destroyed. Why? Because you're not walking according to the word, the will, and the ways of God. So I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to take you out for 2,000 years. God calls it a short time. In his view, it's two days. A 1,000 years is as a day with the Lord. But he took them out for a thousand years. 
So we need to have, we need to be willing to see things from God's perspective, God's viewpoint. And viewpoint determines destiny. It's determining the destiny of our country. It's determining the destiny of the world. Now, those things having been said, uh, we look at this report that I'm going to share with you as soon as we get back. But before we do, I'm going to uh, refer you to my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle. For he who rules the temple mount is deemed to rule the world. This book describes to you the whole pattern of history and where it's going. If you don't have it, you need to get it. It's $15 on our website, saveus.org, King of the Mountain. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. There's no question about it. Viewpoint determines destiny. Our viewpoint, your viewpoint, my viewpoint, there are no neutral viewpoints. They all determine destiny in some way, small or great. But you aggregate together all of the smaller viewpoints and they become a major viewpoint. And that's what's driving America and that's what's driving the world. And it's what's driving the world into the final scenario prophesied by the prophets and by Christ before that is going to take place before our Lord's second coming. Yes, we need to be ready. But you see, in order for a nation to be ready, a city and a state has to be ready. In order for a city and a state to be ready, a town has to be ready. In order for a town to be ready, the families have to be ready. In order for the families to be ready, the church has to be ready, and the individuals within that family have to be ready. So in reality, it all begins with you. It all begins with me. It doesn't begin with them, whoever them is, the ubiquitous they out there. It begins with you, and it begins with me. And unfortunately, we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't see ourselves even the way other people, other nations see us. We just don't. They do not see us as the sacrosanct bunch of uh, uh, godly Christian people that we want to think that we are. They don't see us that way at all. The missionaries don't see us that way. They go over to other countries and they're astounding as to, astounded as to how the people actually see our country. 
It was 25 years ago when I was traveling across the country, and I was uh, held over in Cincinnati at the airport and had a chance to chat with a gentleman uh, who sat across from me in the airport, and he identified himself as coming from Zimbabwe. I don't think the country of Zimbabwe even exists now under that name. Things change so much. But he he said he was from Zimbabwe. And so we're chat, chatting openly, and he he said, you know, uh, when I was younger, we had missionaries who came over for the, for the United States to my country, and we would ask them, what is it that makes America so great? What is it? Why is America seems to be so prosperous and so on? And the missionaries would tell us it's because America believes and worships God. So here's what he asked me in a very sobering tone. He said, what's happened to America? In other words, implicit in his question was, the America I see is nothing like what the missionaries told us. It's not godly. It's not following the ways of the Lord. Not even close. In most respects, not even trying to. Using Jesus as a mascot rather than the master. In other words, we try to market him for our own purposes. Church growth, building programs, selling books or whatever. I don't do, we don't do that when we uh, provide books here on this program. That's why our books will never make the bestseller list ever because they're not calculated that way. They're not calculated to make money. They're calculated to communicate God's message for this unique time in history. So the book, King of the Mountain, is just like that. It is written so as to help us to understand the great plan and purpose, the panoply of God's purpose, from creation on to the end of the age, how it began in the uh, Mount of God in heaven, and how Satan has mounted his uh, view, his intention to globalize the world under one ultimate authority who will be, in a sense, the incarnation of his glory just as Christ was the incarnation of the Father's glory. That's his goal. And it is to rule and reign through that personage on the Temple Mount, formerly called Mount Moriah in the days of Abraham, where Jesus was crucified and is coming again to rule and reign over this planet. That's the battle. That's the greater battle. That's the greater global battle that Satan himself is choreographing, and he's using the nations and people groups of the world in order to accomplish that. That's what this book reveals. That's the reason why, when I was interviewed by a Jewish talk show host, he started with a one-hour interview one day, said halfway through, there's no way we can cover 
what's in this book. Could you come on next week for another hour? Okay. He said the same thing the next week. We ended up with seven hours of interview by a Jewish talk show host about a Christian book. It grabbed him in his, shall we say, spiritual guts. It might grab yours too. You might want to give it as a gift to your pastor. It'll open his eyes. It'll give him a lot to talk about, to preach about. Might even actually transform your congregation as a beginning point. It's $18, $20 book, actually, for your gift for $15 to Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, we get back to unfolding the dynamics that are taking place right now at the end of 2023, moving toward a potentially explosive 2024 that has to do as much with world events as it has to do with the presidency of the United States. We tend to think it's all about the election. No, it's more about God's election for the individuals who are actually going to endure to the end and obey his voice than it is about a presidential election. We need to understand that, friends. If there just be any real change that you can believe in, it has to begin in our hearts, in our minds. That's correct. If there's going to be any change you can believe in in this country, it's not going to begin in the White House. It's going to begin in your house, in the church house. Please listen to those words. Because it's absolute truth. The problem is not with them. The problem is with us. From God's viewpoint, the problem is in his own house. That's why judgment's going to begin at the house of God. It's not going to begin in the world. It's going to begin in God's house. Judgment began with Israel. And he used other nations to judge Israel, and then he turned around and judged the nations that judged Israel because they were ungodly. And he's going to do the same again. He may do the same with regard to the United States because we don't want to hear his voice. We just don't want to. We're stubborn just like Israel. Yet pride ourselves on how cool and wonderful we are and how many mega churches we have. It's not exciting God. God is excited over one sinner that repents, over one professing believer who comes clean concerning his life and confesses how far we have estranged ourselves from the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord and repents and begins to walk in humility For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, that having been said, again, 
This time for the Russian Times, Middle East Royal calls for end to Western dominance, in other words, Western one world order. The unfair world order dominated by the West needs to end, said the Omani crown prince, uh, Theazin bin Haman al-Said. He said that last Thursday when speaking with Vladimir Putin. In his opening remarks, Putin had described globalization as a phenomenon used by the U.S. and the collective West to exploit its allies in the global periphery instead of giving every nation an opportunity to develop and thrive. He said that system is currently undergoing radical and irreversible changes. So, is that true? You would never know it for the viewpoint of most Americans, including most Christian Americans and most conservative Americans. You would never know that. Because we don't see ourselves the way others see us and we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Remember when I was a kid. Helps me to remember when I was a kid. And we would gather around the, the uh, table uh, each evening for a meal and we would had this little plastic uh, symbol of a bread, a loaf of bread, and inside it were uh, maybe a couple hundred little cards with Bible verses on one side. On the other side of the Bible verses was a quotation, a saying. And here was one of those that I will never forget. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But there's another one that always comes to my mind, and it's this. Would to God the gift to see us the way others see us. Would to God the gift to give us to see ourselves as others see us. Hmm, interesting. The Prime Minister of Hungary now, a very conservative man, Seems to be a Christian man says Russia's not going to lose. What does that mean for the future of Europe, so-called Christian Europe? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. At this time, I would change the word Sell Church to House Church. I would change the word cell church back to house church. Just like it is in China. Just like it is in Iran. That's ultimately where things are going to go. Yes, even in America. Get ready. 
Get ready. The original church was all house churches. All. There were no big buildings until Constantine decided to make Christianity the religion of the realm. And then they took over the basilicas and turned it into the kind of system that we have today where people sit in rows and look at the back of one another's heads. During the early church time in Jerusalem, they looked in one another's faces and saw their hearts, just like God does. Something to think about. Or Urban, excuse me, Orban, Victor Orban, the uh, Hungarian prime minister, was speaking in Zurich. And uh, he made a, gave a speech that really swept through the EU, NATO, his assertion that Europe has relinquished its self-determination struck a resonant chord in the corridors where the future of the European Union is being debated. He says that the political body of the European Commission lacks the necessary governance, acumen, uh, that echoes the sentiments of those yearning for decisive leadership. He asserted that Europe finds itself in a state of diminished autonomy, grappling with a declining share of the world's GDP. By 2030, he said Germany will be the only European representative in the global top ten rankings for GDP, and Germany will be at the very bottom. He said it is obvious that Ukraine will not win the battlefield war with Russia. So what was that all about anyway? It was all about the West led by the United States using the European Union and NATO to spread the one world Western global order up to the border of Russia. And Putin said, no way, no how. I've had enough with you. And he attacked Ukraine. And Ukraine does not seem able, notwithstanding all of the puffery about the bravery and so on, does not seem able to be able to stand on its own two feet. So, according to the Prime Minister of Hungary, a Christian man, strong Christian man that the rest of Europe hates, he says, Ukraine can't stand. He doesn't even mention the corruption of Ukraine, the vast corruption. But we chose Ukraine because it was usable. It was usable for Western purposes. And we were warned, going all the way back to 2014, we were warned, don't do this. we did anyway you see viewpoint has consequences always does now last week Vladimir Putin visited the Middle East and uh, you might wonder well what why does that matter well he traveled to the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and then beyond that to uh, 
uh, other areas of the Persian Gulf. He said the structure of the international system has changed. The Gulf states have many issues in common now with Russia, all of them of primary importance to Russia. The importance of this for Russia, both economically and politically, can hardly be overestimated. The money issue is not just about regulating oil prices, but also about cooperation with the wealthy Arab monarchies. They're looking with interest at the opportunities offered by the Russian market, which is being freed now from Western presence, and they're studying ways of circumventing the restrictions imposed by the U.S. and Europe. Now, how did this happen? Because the unintended consequence of us leading Europe to resist Russia in every respect, including oil and all economic factors, has forced Russia to look elsewhere. And in looking elsewhere, it has stirred the affections of the rest of the world that did not feel like they were included in the growing Western one-world globalistic order. So they're embracing Russia. It's amazing what's happening. Nobody would have ever expected this. I'm having to synthesize very quickly a whole raft of uh, articles here that are expressing uh, Vladimir Putin said he accused the West of trying to crush Russia, saying that these attempts are doomed to fail. They will not succeed, he said. He went on to cite the admissions of former uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President Francois Hollande, who revealed last year that the Minsk agreements, a roadmap for peace that they developed, a help broker between Kiev and Moscow in 2015, had been nothing but a ploy to give Ukraine time to build up its military. The Russian president also claimed that Ukraine, unlike Russia, has no future because Kiev is entirely dependent on its foreign backers financially and for military supplies. Another way of putting that is that the West seduced Ukraine into the situation that they're in, then having to support it to try to maintain the goal of the West, globalization, a new Western world order, to the exclusion of Russia. And the effect has been to actually lift up Russia in the minds and the hearts of the rest of the world, including oil and gas exports that have more than doubled in the last year or two from Russia. Remember, oil and gas is the number one uh, utility, so to speak, of Russia. It makes up a huge part of their uh, economy. And now, behind the scenes, in secret, 
European countries are buying Russian oil and gas under the table, so to speak. This announcement, the Netherlands just purchased over 200 million cubic meters of Russian uh, gas, despite order uh, pledges to stop buying the commodity. Why are they doing that? Because they're under the thumb, and always have been, of Russia's provision of oil and gas. Europe require uh, depends for 30 to 40% of its energy on Russian oil and gas and has for years. Germany depends 70% on Russian oil and gas. So the next report, Russia's oil revenues almost doubled. The Western attempt to curb Moscow's revenues from crude experts have had the opposite effect. The G7's efforts are working exactly the opposite of the intention. In other words, the world, my friends, is changing dramatically. Then comes this report. Mr. Putin and Iran's Racy talked for five hours in the Kremlin just this last week. Five hours. A meeting in the Kremlin between Russian President Vladimir Putin and his Iranian counterpart, Ibrahim Raisi, lasted more than five hours. The leaders discussed bilateral ties and wider global challenges, including the Israeli-Hamas conflict. Russia and Iran have built up good momentum over the past year, Putin said. Trade between the two nations has grown by 20% over the past year. 20%. Putin said, we are engaging in active cooperation across the entire spectrum of our bilateral relations. The talks concluded a series of meetings that Putin held over a period of 48 hours with the leaders and officials from the Middle Eastern countries. On Wednesday last week, Putin met with Abu Dhabi and Riyadh, where he met with UAE President uh, uh, Nayan and Saudi Crown, uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. On Thursday, the Russian leader met with Omani Crown Prince uh, bin Hathim al-Said. And uh, so why is he doing that? Why is this important? Did you know that Joe Biden contacted the uh, president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, and said, how dare you fraternize and play footsie with Iran? They're our enemy. They're the enemy of Israel. How do you dare do this? Well, you've heard the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's what's bringing Russia together with all of these other nations as a preeminent authority and model. That is what has pushed Russia into the arms of China. Not because China has any love affair with Russia or that Russia has any love affair with China. But in one sense, they're birds of a feather that are flocking together. They each have communistic backgrounds. 
They each have a desire to rule the world, to take dominion, but they can't do it by themselves, and they know it. So together, Russia and China have brought together other nations, including India and Brazil and South Africa initially, called the BRICS nations. And now they're adding numerous other nations come the first of the year, including many, if not most, of the Middle East nations. And all of these nations are the, shall we say collectively, the dominating producers of oil and gas energy in the world. Consider the implications of that in the context, friends, of the rapid changes in geopolitics of the world in light of biblical prophecy. I'm going to give you a hint. We've talked about this before, but in a slightly different way. Israel is the only serious Middle Eastern nation that does not have oil and gas, other than Turkey. It's been joked about, even by Golda Meir, originally in Israel. How could this be? But what if now God does some divine fracking in the not-too-distant future and opens up the fissures that geopetrol authorities know is uh, oil, vast oil reserves are under Israel. And it begins to flow. Imagine what the effect of that will be upon the BRICS nations that have established their power and their authority upon the flow of Russian oil and gas, and that coming from the Middle East. They will go after Israel to take a spoil, my friends. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39 again with that idea in mind. Get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain, $15 on our website, saveus.org. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.